I'm Yamilka Rodriguez, and this is the Brand Therapist Podcast, where we come together and dive deep into the psychology of branding. We live in a new era that asks us to step up and show our individuality, learn what makes us unique and different in this world. Let's open the door to possibilities so you can win in business, life, and relationships, because everything starts with you. Hello and welcome to the Brand Therapist Podcast. I am so, so excited to have Daniel Epstein with me here today. I'm so, 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 so excited. Before we begin, this is the way we're going to do this one. It's going to be a little different than the others, but I'm going to start reading your bio and I'm going to ask you some questions because you have such an interesting bio. I love it. Daniel is a marketing innovation consultant based in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he taught marketing and innovation strategy at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto in the executive MBA program. And he also was a Harley Proctor. But let's talk about, first of all, director at the Procter & Gamble, where he worked for 21 years. So he was a Harley Proctor, which I'm sure people don't even know what that means or what that is or the importance of that, right? But before that, I know you lived in Canada for a year, two years? Six years. Six years. Wow. I didn't even know it was six years. So I know the Rotman School program is super, super highly coveted. I had a friend that actually moved from Portland to go to that program in Canada. So tell me a little bit about that, because I know you're an ex-Procter & Gamble. We were there at the same time, got to know you and your amazing things that you were doing. So tell me a little bit about what happened there at the school in Rotman in Canada and what you did. Oh, thanks. Well, it's great to be here. Well, my connection to Rotman when I moved to Canada was uh, Roger Martin, who you know, and Rotman had a huge design thinking curriculum. I was focused on a strategy course that I created for brand innovation strategy. And essentially, I brought together three bodies of content, the what we call the laws of growth, the Ehrenberg Bass, how brands grow. So the, the fact that Brand choice is a matter of probabilities, not based on deep love and loyalty. And then I'm still a big fan of Clay Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma. Um, yes. And this idea of disruption from underneath and how disruption often shows up inferior at first. And then I'm a big fan of Roger Martin and A.G. Laffley's book on strategy, the Cascading Choices Strategy Model, Where to Play, How to Win. So I just kind of combined those three things and students needed to think about a long-term innovation strategy for any kind of a brand, service brand, physical product brand that respected these laws of growth, this more probabilistic approach to brand choice, not love and loyalty. So that's what I, I taught it for two years. I love that. And then the other thing is, what is a Harley Proctor? It was just a designation. Harley Proctor was, I think, the nephew of the founders of P&G, and he's the one credited with starting the marketing function. He's the one who came up with the name Ivory and started this idea of marketing by brand rather than for the company. And so it's just a designation that was given to people in marketing who had achieved a certain level of competency, but also guiding the organization in where to go in terms of going forward 
approach to marketing. So um, it was kind of like a tenure, but they could still fire you. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I mean, I know there were very few Harley Proctors. Not everybody gets that title. And I think the listeners would like to know that also Procter & Gamble, they have huge marketing excellence. I don't even know how to describe that. But a Harley Proctor is just a title not everybody gets. And I see, like you said, like it's a more academic kind of title. I mean, if you want to translate it in that way, but it does have a lot to do with the understanding of branding, the understanding, like you said, like the course of where a brand goes, because there's another thing in here that I want to talk about that kind of came to mind. You say that you're also, which relates back to Harley Proctor, this behavioral productive quantitative study of psychologists to deliver a large scale. How does psychology kind of come into the aspect of branding? Oh, well, actually, all the great advancements in brand building are really happening in social psychology. And I'm very lucky that I'm partnered with um, two of the leading social psychologists who are experts in non-conscious drivers of habitual behavior. And so if you think about it, certainly those of us in CPG, but even all kinds of things from financial services to cars to certainly appliances, the science shows that there's not a whole lot of thought that consumers put into these decisions, even decisions we think are well thought out. They have to use heuristics. Our brain and our daily life, our survival depends on what Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky called system one decision making. And so social psychology includes the science of how people really make decisions and what influences their decisions. And a whole lot of it is non-conscious. So we really have had a shift from the days of the Kotler era of marketing, where decisions are deliberate and based on love, to we understand that um, as crazy as it sounds, the best relationship, and I'm quoting my mentor, Craig Wynette here, the best relationship we can have with a consumer is a habit and not deep love and loyalty. So we can talk more about that, but that's why social psychologists are the cutting edge of marketing, not MBA professors. Exactly. I love that because all... There's a reason why this is called the brand therapist, right? It's because it's all based on psychology and we use 3% of our conscious mind and the other is our unconscious. So that's a lot of percentages right there that we don't even do at a conscious level. I'm just going to say a few things that, that are on your bio. You worked on Crest White Strips, which was a $250 million in North America sales today. Tide Podcasts. You worked a lot in Tide, which is the primary kind of brand, I would say, at Procter & Gamble. That's what I tell a lot of people. That's the daily bread, right? Um, if you're on Tide, you are a pretty amazing marketer. And then you did some FEI innovation, brand building. But what I really want to talk about, and this gets in, into our story questions, is I want to talk about the amazing book that you were developing for years. I know you've been working on this for years. I know you have a very extensive, amazing profile around the work that you do, the career. But I want to talk about this book that you've uh, just recently published. 
the name of the book is Portraits in Faith. And this project's been going on for about 20 years. As I was traveling the world for Procter & Gamble, I started adding on personal days to my business trips to interview people about their spiritual journeys and the role of faith changing their lives, but not religion. I mean, somebody might refer to their religion, but I'm really interested in what was the context, what was going on in their life, what happened, what are they like now? And I'm a photographer, and so I do what's called environmental portraiture, black and white. And so I make a black and white portrait of each of these people. And so far I've interviewed and made portraits of 500 people in 27 countries. I was kind of just uh, collecting these and sharing with friends, like maybe I'm, I might have shared with you out of a portfolio book. And then people were really urging me to start sharing this, that it was, uh, that it, I really needed to get this out there into the public domain. And um, I was very lucky through, uh, again, my mentor, Craig Wynette, I was able to meet Ken Burns, the documentary filmmaker. And Ken said to me, have the courage to say this isn't a film. Not everything is meant to be a PBS special. Everybody wants to make a PBS special, but not everything is meant to be that. So as I thought about it, okay, 500 talking heads, no B-roll, can't afford time or money to bring all this to production at once or to publishing at once. So decided to treat it as a website starting 10 years ago where we would just add a new portrait and interview every few weeks. And so I've published now 125 of those online. In the world that you and I come from, it's not gone viral. That would be the millions, but we have 460,000 views on YouTube. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, it's respectable, I think. So YouTube is actually our most popular media wow. where we so have- Does that um, surprise you at all? No, I mean, because at the beginning of each video, we put the portrait and then an excerpt of the video. So it's an easy way to absorb the content. A lot of people go to the website too, because there you can see the quote written out and you can see my reflection. You know, I guess people access different parts of the content depending on what they want. Anyway, that's what I've done. And we've just identified the next 125 to publish, working on those. And now there's some other activities I can tell you about. We have this whole pathway called sacred listening workshops, and I'm exhibiting the work now for the first time and working with students. So yeah, it's kind of become a whole activity system. I say there's a pipeline that carries the cash from Daniel Epstein and Associates to Portraits in Faith. Oh, I love that. So we are going to talk about your exhibit at the end so everybody can join us for that. I know it's in Chicago. For those of you in Chicago or for those of you who want to travel to Chicago. But before we get there, this wouldn't be a brand therapy podcast if we didn't talk about childhood. So let me ask you, how did your childhood influence the way that you decided to take on this journey around mm -hmm. portraits of faith? Well, you know, I grew up identified, you might even say over-identified with Judaism, all my early accomplishments were at synagogue, youth group, that whole thing. But yeah. when the shit hit the fan in my life, in my mid-30s, I realized that I didn't like who I was. I didn't like how I was acting in relationships. I wasn't all that successful at work. You know, you have up years and down years. But yeah, I kind of had one of those moments where I woke up and realized I didn't like who I was. 
Would you from, say it's a midlife crisis? Yeah, but without the marriage, the divorce, and the sports yeah. car. And, uh, you know, Judaism is also kind of unique. It's not a religion of faith. It's a religion of uh, do these things, keep the Sabbath, keep kosher. I mean, a whole bunch of things that are in common with Christianity, too, about helping the poor and the needy. First of all, there's no salvation, and the concepts of faith are really kind of wobbly. In Judaism, we, we say, do, and then you'll understand or maybe get a feeling. Or as I heard a rabbi once say, uh, don't tell me the Sabbath isn't meaningful, observe the next 52, and then tell me if it's meaningful. That's a very Jewish idea. You can also see where Jewish humor comes from. And so kind of when the shit hit the fan in my life, I just needed a deeper sense of faith. And quite frankly, uh, I think what happened in retrospect is I started drafting off of all of these people's stories of faith. And if I could be even more specific, stories of gratitude. I was not a very grateful person. Before I was at Procter & Gamble, I lived in Boston. I was a miserable CPA. And I had a psychiatrist that I went to describe me as a young man who wasn't happy about much. And uh, that really described me and had a real well-honed victim personality. And, you know, I think that listening to these stories of faith, but really of gratitude around the world really lifted me up until I could develop a faith and a theology that worked for me. As you might guess, my theology is pretty big and broad, the big broad highway. I still identify as Jewish. It's very important to me. But I think that this project helped me get in touch with many people's stories of faith that really gave me hope and turned me into a more grateful person. Oh, I love that. So if I asked you, what is Daniel's personal brand about? What would you say it would be? Well, I, I say the name of my book would be A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Self-Actualization. Yeah, I think my brand is about having one foot in this world. I still really enjoy the behavior change, consulting, the marketing work I do, the branding work I do with companies around the world. And I know that's not what matters most. I know what matters most is this uh, connection to all that we might call the divine, the sacred in life. I interviewed an incredible woman, Valerie Kaur, in Los Angeles a few weeks ago, and I asked her what her concept of God was. And she said, God is a way of being. And I love that idea that regardless of what the metaphysical reality turns out to be, which who knows if it ever gets revealed to us on the day of death or whatever, I know that uh, I'm a better contributor to human society, to all of creation, by trying to live a more sacred life and tapping into the divine, the sacred, and um, trying to be of service to other people and not be selfish. I love that. I love that. I, a foot in both worlds. Somebody once wrote me that they had converted to Christianity because of our interview and our time together working on the project. He was one of my producers. So I started calling myself the accidental missionary. Um, <laughs> so is that my brand? Uh, maybe that's my brand. Oh, wow. That's pretty incredible. Those, you know, what, what happens in when we take the step to do something unexpected that we didn't plan for it in life. Sometimes there's certain things where it takes us, like you said, they probably asked you, okay, Daniel does this, this, and this. He's the person to take this work on. And when we decide to take on that mission, right? Like you said, like you might be skeptic, you might be 
afraid. What is your greatest fear around this work? Oh, what a great question. I, um, well, I have a couple of fears. The first one is that I'll die before I publish it all. Because for a while, I had in my will that these portraits and stories would be published in a small volume by my friends who were named in my will. And they're like, could you do this yourself before you die? Please. <laughs> now, now that I've published it and written all these reflections, there's no way anybody else could reflect back on these interviews and what these individuals mean to me or meant to me. That's probably my biggest fear. So that's kind of where I'm taking the work now. So it sounds like you've been really open to wherever the idea comes from and then developing this in a sort of form that you weren't really expecting to develop it. So was there a time when you were holding back? So tell me about what happens when you hold back on these things that are kind of forcing you to put this out there. Well, I recently had this amazing experience at a ranch devoted to experiences with horses in Santa Fe, a place called Equus. And um, they put you into the corral with five horses and you learn to work on an issue and to see the reaction in the noises and the movements of the horses because they are very sensitive to emotion more than humans are. Anyway, it must have been bubbling up in me because I felt like I received two messages from the exercise I did with the horses that are relevant to your question. The first was that I had to start putting aside three days a month for writing portraits and faith content because it's the rootedness of my life. If I'm not writing these reflections, if I'm not selecting quotes from these interviews, I'm not in my right work and I'm not grounded. And then the second thing is I felt that if I did not finally develop a meditation practice, I was not going to have the impact that I want to have before I die. And so literally out of the blue, after avoiding it for decades, trying it and failing, I started a 30 minute a day meditation practice in late October. I've only missed a day or two. And so it's just kind of it was just like a on off switch. I just I just have this sense that I cannot have the impact I want if I'm not meditating. So those are two interventions that I just wow. made. That's pretty amazing. You know, I live in horse country. There's many horses down my street. I do a eight mile walk once a week with my friend Nora, who walks every day, which I'm pretty impressed by. And we get horses coming up to us every now and then. And I always ask about the question, like, they don't always come up, right? And so when they come to us, I'm just curious and wonder why this time and not the other time or talk to us, you know, sometimes when we're talking and you can hear the horses talking to you. And so I always wonder, is there something they're trying to tell me or is there something I need to think about? And I love the the meditation practice as well, because I've also been on and off on my meditation practice, but when I do it consistently, I live in another world. It's like things come to me, things are easy to do, tasks come much more freer. And I think it's because of the uncluttering of the mind 
you have more clarity around different things. And I do believe you're like getting me back to, okay, get back on it because I'm off it. Every time I travel, I get off it. And so I just got back from a trip. So now I need to get back on it again on the wheel. But you're right. It's funny how that came to you because I feel a sense that that really helps me as well. No, that's great. I'm hardly an expert. I have a colleague who's been meditating for 35, 40 years. Um, So this is all brand new for me. I just have this sense that it's non-negotiable now. I love it. Okay. So a few more questions. How do you see your life in about 10 years from now? Where do you see yourself going? 10 years from now, you know, I have no idea. I'm just, um, I'm sure at some point the consulting won't be as active, but um, it's a lot of fun to consult and to teach. You know, I'm a teacher at heart. My parents are were both teachers. And, you know, I'm lucky I got to be a teacher inside of one of the biggest corporations in the world. And now I get to be a teacher to all these companies that all those people went to after they left P&G. And I get to hang out with these PhDs. And what did I know about the academic literature? But now every project I work on essentially starts with an academic literature search. My colleagues teach me so much about validated research and isolating variables and causation versus correlation and what really changes behavior. And you could say that on the portraits and faith side, I'm also in pursuit of changed behavior and that I probably believe in changed behavior creates changed attitudes and intentions, that we can't just rely on changed attitudes and intentions to change habitual behavior in this world where everybody is so polarized. You know, I think there is a connection between these two worlds that I work in. I hope I just continue to work in them. I mean, using brand terminology, I I hope that the brand extensions of Portraits in Faith continue to have an impact or that I get redirected. You know, my goal is to have a profound healing impact on the world before I check out. A few things for the listeners. Where can they find you? if they want to know more about what you're doing in general, and then specifically around this show you're having in Chicago. Okay, well, if you want to check out the Portraits in Faith multimedia project about spiritual journeys, go to portraitsinfaith.org. If you want to just look at YouTube videos, just go to our YouTube channel, Portraits in Faith. If you want to buy the coffee table book that we came out with last year. I have it. You can make a donation and receive the book on our website, on the um, shop tab. And then uh, if you're interested in having one of these sacred listening workshops, whether you're in a congregation or an organization or a company, you know, the point of view of this project is that the sharing of spiritual journeys or life journeys, it breaks down barriers. So that's what these sacred listening workshops are about. They're not about politics per se. It's more about Let's learn about the life journey and the spiritual journey of the person that I might call the other. And so you can just write to me at the information provided on the Portraits and Faith website. And if for some reason you're interested in my branding and behavior change work, you can look at the Daniel Epstein and Associates website. So the exhibition, there is a public opening at the laboratory schools in Hyde Park, Chicago, on Thursday, January 26th from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. That's when it's open to the public. If you're in Chicago and can't make that date, 
just write me and we'll try to find a time where you can be given access to the gallery to see the exhibit. And uh, we'll be publishing online about the work that we end up doing with students and what came out of that. Wow, that's so, so exciting. So everybody gets to know that listens to the podcast, they even may get a special tour that Daniel may provide if you reach out to him personally. There's so much amazing work that you're doing. It's incredible. I feel so grateful to have met you in the years we met and worked together. I love that connection. I know we have another connection through other things in the psychological world of the Enneagram as well. And lots of learning there. I mean, it's so interesting how the path kind of takes you there as well. Thank you, Daniel, for everything you do, not just um, for others, but for the world of faith. I love that. I got to experience that myself with your talk recently here in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And when I saw the videos, I didn't know what to expect. I guess I thought it may be very religious. Like you said, it's not really. It's about the mindset and how people think. And it opens up to more thought about your own experience about faith and how you experience it for yourself. And that's what it did for me. So I have to tell you, I loved it. And it just opened up a new world. And it was really good to understand how other people see their faith. Because it helps you break those barriers that we have and these judgments and these wars that aren't really even there. These walls break down when you can actually have a conversation about these things and be honest about what you really believe and how you really see the world. So um, would recommend it 100%. It was so amazing. It had a real impact on me. And I'm so excited to see kind of what comes out of all this as you keep working this through the next few years. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Always. We'll we'll make sure that in the future, we keep in contact. All your information will be on the podcast and so excited to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Brand Therapist. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you'd like to connect with me on social, you can find me at Yamoka Rodriguez Branding, Bespoke Branding Agency, or email me at yamoka at yamoka.com. Thanks for listening.